Well, thank you so much for joining us here today. My name is Nick Kusterberg. I'm the pastor of Bethel Southwest. And I just pray that this time is encouraging to you as we, as we begin to dive into God's Word. At Bethel, our, our mission here is to be a group of disciples who glorify God by making disciples. And one way we do that is by coming to God's Word and, and listening to it, hearing from it, and so that it would impact our lives to help impact other people's lives. So I'm going to just come right now and I begin this time as we come into this Easter season. Um, I pray that God would use this um, time to just be impactful to your heart. So let me pray as we kind of dive into God's Word together. Father, we just come to you and um, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace. Uh, thank you, Father, just for this conversation that we're going to look over that took place 2,000 years ago. God, would we... Um, leave here, know, let's leave this time knowing you and understanding you better because of your word. And Lord, we thank you. May the Spirit be with me as I preach your word. In your Son's name, amen. Amen. A few conversations um, that you have in your life are what we would call life-changing. We have hundreds of conversations week in and week out. Conversations about um, what we will eat, conversations about how we will pay the bills, conversations about why does my dog eat everything in sight. Um, but while we have hundreds of conversations, few change your life. One such conversation took place in my life in April 2013. I had come to faith a couple years prior while I was in university. And during that, that two years, God had been working in my heart. Um, I'd graduated from university in the year prior, and I was seeking God to lead me to do what was next. I had felt the call to go into ministry, but didn't really know what, to, what those next steps looked like. What steps should I take? And that's where this conversation took place. And that's where a guy named Ben Dockery steps in. I was working two jobs at the time, and just by coincidence, I was given the afternoon off from one. And so what I would do is that, that afternoon, I'd go visit my friend at the local uh, Christian university where a guy named Russell Moore was speaking. And after Russell Moore, after I listened to Russell Moore speak, I had an opportunity to have a conversation with this guy named Ben. Ben was a admission counselor for a school in Kentucky, a, 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 um, a seminary which is a Bible school in Kentucky. And he began to share with me a little bit about the school. He discussed what it means to get in, what the tuition like. And, but he actually, um, more importantly, invited me to another event. He invited me to listen, to come to a private meeting with the president of the school, which would be taking place the following month. Uh, what he didn't know was um, that I had been, I had been um, paid, um, someone had paid for me to go to this conference that this speaker had been, this president had been, will be speaking at in that next month. So I was able to go to that private meeting with him after the conference and again talk to Ben a little bit more. And that one small conversation after that conference at that private meet and greet would be a conversation that changed my life. And I began to talk to Ben and, and tell him, I really want to go to school here, but I cannot afford to go. And so Ben told me, don't worry about it. I'll have you covered. Like again, I said, many conversations take place, but few change your life. That conversation will eventually lead me to apply and get into the school. It would eventually have me moving everything I owned across the country to Louisville, Kentucky, where I'd uh, meet my wife, graduate from school, 
and eventually bring me to a point where I sit here speaking to you about a conversation that took place in Los Angeles, California in 2013. Some conversations are worth noting. And while that conversation was life-changing for me, there is one conversation that took place 2,000 years ago that was more than just life-altering. It was world-changing. This conversation would do more than just change a life. It would ignite a movement. It would spark a revival. It would create a people that would change the course of history. And today, as we kind of dive into God's word, we'll be looking at that conversation. That conversation that took place between these women who were coming to see Jesus, the crucified Jesus in his tomb. That conversation that took place that first Easter Sunday. A conversation that would change the world. And through this story, we will see how one conversation would alter the world as we know it. So today we're going to be in Matthew 28, 1 through 10. And our main point as we dive into this text is this. Jesus calls us to come and see and then go and tell. Jesus comes, calls us to come and see him and then go and tell others. So let me read the text and we will begin to dive into God's word together. I'm going to read. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. I can't imagine the roller coaster that the followers of Jesus incurred. They, they, they had just been given two they had just given two to three years of their life dedicated to following their, this teacher. They believed that he was the Messiah and that he would change everything. He'd bring in the kingdom of God and give freedom to Israel in a way that um, they never had experienced. They had seen him heal the sick, listened to his authoritative teaching. They've witnessed him raise people from the dead, but now he is dead. The one who once raised, rose, gave the power to rise another person, Lazarus, from the dead. He is now dead in the tomb. And he did not just die, he was crucified as a criminal. And now... These women walk to the tomb and must come to grips of what happened 
life goes back to normal. You must come to grips with the reality that this guy that you had put your hope in, that he is now gone. And you must live your life next wondering what is going to happen. See, Jesus was not the only person who claimed to be a Messiah figure. Jesus was not the only person who would claim to be a Savior. See, this is how the routine went. You claimed to be sent by God. You maybe came to power for a second or two. And then the Roman Empire government killed you. So that first Easter morning, these two women did what any of us would do regarding the death of a close friend. They went to mourn and finish the burial procedure. We see this in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. The first moment... After the Sabbath, remember the Sabbath day was a day the Jews couldn't do any work. So the first moment they had the ability to go to Jesus' tomb, they went. They were here doing what you would normally do after someone passes. Despite all of Jesus' prophecy, his teaching about himself, these women went to finish the burial rites of their friend. In Luke, we see that they brought spices. They were not trying to overpower the guards to steal the body. They were not here to fabricate a story about Jesus' body missing. They were expecting what any of us would do three days after your friend died. They were expecting to see a dead person dead. And they were there to mourn the loss of their friend. Some people will argue that Jesus truly didn't die, but was just wounded. And I just want to counter that with the Roman Empire, the Roman guards knew how to do one thing really, really well. They knew how to kill people. So when these women walked to the tomb as quick as they could, heavy-hearted, terrified, never expecting to encounter what they encountered. They never expected to have a conversation that they were going to have. A conversation that would be life-changing, world-altering. A conversation that would forever change not only their lives, but the lives of the cosmos. To say the least, that first Easter proved to be a memorable scene. We see this in verses 2 and 4. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back a stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. God orchestrated an unforgettable scene to show his insurmountable power. The Jews, knowing Jesus had had followers, knowing that Jesus had promised to come back from the dead, placed guards there to protect the body. At this point, the leaders of the Jews hated him, discredited him, lied about him. They had tried him, falsely accused him, crucified him, and now guarded his tomb. But man in all his strength could not stop the plan of God. And it's interesting to say, to see that God sent an angel to announce the birth of his son. And now sends an angel to announce the resurrection of his son. 
that announcement is to say somewhat fearing, fear-inducing. These hardened warriors are brought to their knees as they are confronted by an angel. I don't know if you've ever been through an earthquake. Growing up in California, you go through them, multiple of them, and every single time they're scary as all get out. They literally will wake you up from your sleep. That day, those, those, those guards, those, those guards who were taught to fight, to fight into battle, um, they were scared, trembling at the sight of that earthquake and of the angel. Yet, these guards would not be changed. Their hearts were hardened still. In reality, there's a fear that leads to nothing. We understand that. Obviously, we do not know what happened to these guards after, after this whole scene. We do know uh, that they were given a bribe to keep their mouths shut. But it's interesting. And it reminds us of what we've actually been learning a lot in Romans. If you're new, uh, if you're new with this idea that, that the heart is the issue. We were reminded the problem with humanity is not an evidentiary problem, but a heart problem. While the evidence of Christianity is abundant, it's not enough to change the heart of man. These guards witnessed one of the craziest scenes ever. They knew the promises of this Jesus being risen from the dead, yet they would leave that place hard-hearted as before. But, when the Lord changes someone's heart, there's nothing the world can do to change the heart of the man of God. But when the Lord changes the heart, there is a drastic change. These guards were brought before an angel, fear-induced, but nothing changed. But these women came to more than a friend, their teacher, the one who gave them hope. They came expecting a dead person to stay dead, but instead what happened was this. We see this in 5.28.5a. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. While the angel provides no comfort to the guards, he comforts and provides rest to the women. He calls the women to feel at peace and then begins to tell them this message, this news that would change the, the fabric of humanity. And it's interesting, um, we come to this scene and we, we, can be, um, we can miss it. It can be like white noise. It's interesting, um, if you've ever watched a movie sometimes a second time, it just doesn't hit the same. It doesn't have the same effect on you, right? Like if you've ever watched Sixth Sense for the second time, you realize that Bruce Willis is dead the whole time. It just doesn't make, it doesn't have the impact that it would have the first time. Or when you're watching Star Wars and you realize that Luke, like Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's dad, it just doesn't have the impact as the second time you hear it. And when we come to this scene and we begin to hear the response of the angel, the message of the angel, let us not miss the magnitude of what they are going to say because we've heard it before. Let it not be the white noise in the back of our head because of this. Listen to this. It says this, But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen. As he has said, come and see the place where he lay. I know you're expecting to see a dead man. I know you're expecting him to mourn the loss of your your friend, your teacher, your savior. 
but I have news for you. I have news that you should have expected, but here it is. He's risen. He's not here. He's alive. Jesus did the impossible. He did what his closest friends didn't even expect. Because dead people don't come back to life. Jesus came back to life. He really did. He really did raise from the dead. He really went to his friends and said, touch my skin. He wasn't a ghost. It wasn't a story that was fabricated. He really did raise from the dead. And if Jesus came back to life, then we can be secure that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus came back from life. Then we know that Jesus is going to do what he said he was going to do. If Jesus came back to life, we know that our sins can be forgiven. And if he came back to life, we know that one day he will restore the earth back to his rule and reign. Do you know what's kind of crazy? The gospel authors use this story to verify the risen Savior. See, a woman's testimony was considered to be worthless in this time. So the Gospels utilizing the story of, of these women, the testimony of this woman to, vali uh, provide validate, uh, to validate the story, it, it just seems absurd. Uh, because if it didn't happen in this way, and you're making something up, you wouldn't use a witness of a, an unreliable witness of a, as a woman to validate a story. You wouldn't use a witness as unreliable to change the culture. But if you're telling a historical account, you have to be honest, right? And we can be honest. Because those who saw the resurrected Jesus was more than just the women exceeded the disciples and would number over 500 people. Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, 16. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at once, most of whom are still alive, though some of them have fallen asleep. 500 people who lived at the same time these Gospels were written. 500 people who could give their own account of seeing the resurrected Jesus. 500 people whose lives were forever changed. And many of them, some of them even crucified. Many of them martyred, murdered for the fact that they believed in this Jesus. That they believed he rose from the dead. If you're making up a story at that time, you don't use women as a key testimony. If you're starting a false revolution, you do not claim that over 500 people whom you can interview saw the guy. If you are trying to create a false religion, you do not die for that cause. But that first Easter... These women were confronted with the greatest news that has ever been heard. The news that their friend, their teacher, the Savior of the world had risen from the dead. And these women's lives would never be the, the same. The authority of Jesus was firmly planted. The power of Jesus full, fully visible. The claims of Jesus proven valid sins of his people fully forgiven. And we see in Luke that they are reminded that Jesus said all these things would happen. We see it here that they said, as he said. And now we, 
as Jesus comes to the cross, he's risen from the dead, we can see the plan of God fully taking place, being played out through his son, Jesus Christ. I don't know what your views on Jesus are. I don't know what brought you to watching this video today. You might be a young teenager. Maybe you're someone just searching for God. Maybe you came because someone invited you to watch this. Honestly, you might be a full hater of Jesus. As you come and you listen to this, as you kind of look at what has taken place, there's little room to negotiate the reality of who Jesus is and what he did on this earth. There's little room now also to negotiate if he will or will not follow him. The question is, will you follow? The question I leave, the question I bring before you, is will you follow? These women saw the resurrected Jesus. They heard from the angels, and they did what they were told to do next. This is what the angels tells them to do. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. I, I have told you. See, I have told you. The angel told the women to share the news about their Lord. I cannot imagine the thoughts running through the minds of these women. Again, a roller coaster of emotions. Go and tell them, your disciples, the other followers of Jesus, that Jesus is alive. Go tell them. He's risen. Look at the tomb. The tomb is empty. Go tell them. We'll see Peter run to the tomb to see if that was true. So what did they do? They, they ran and they, they, they told, they went to tell the disciples. But on the road, on the road they were met by what I would believe one of the most joy-filled interactions ever experienced. Let's read. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took and hold, took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and they will see me. I go home to visit my parents every once, once maybe a year and, or maybe a little bit longer depending how busy I am. And one of my favorite moments is the moment I walk out of the airport and I just give my mom and my dad a hug. It's special. It is it's just so joy-filled as I get to see my parents and get to, get to talk to them, be reconnected. I, I just can't imagine the hearts of these women. Their friend, their teacher, their savior was dead. Less than 72 hours before, they had watched his, a sword go through his side, pierce his heart, and, and water come out. Now to hear and see him from merely a human perspective would have been so joy-filled. Now to add that he promised you a hope that you never thought you could come. He said things like this, I've come that they may have life and that you may have it abundantly. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That the most famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He, he said these things. He, 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 he had you believing these things. And with Jesus' death came the loss of hope, but with the resurrection of Jesus came the fulfillment of hope. They, the hope for the world did not come to an end, that, but we see that God is good and loving 
and that one day that there'll be justice taking place, that all wrong would be made right. Hope to know my sins can and have been forgiven. So they responded with the only reasonable response. They worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. They had given up hope, but now their hope is before them in the risen Savior. I don't know if you can remember that first time, you, that first song that came to you after, after you came to faith in Christ, that, that first moment, like you know that you're a Christian, you've been bought by the blood of Jesus, and that, that first song that impacted your life. But, my, but the first song I can remember um, that ran deep to my core was this. It's called All I Have is Christ. And it says this. But as I ran, my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, he looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. The women walked to the tomb that day expecting all, expecting to see their friend dead, brutally beaten, beaten. They left, holding his feet, worshiping him. Four times in this passage, we see the, see the um, weird fear. The guards are told, our guards had feared. The angel told the women not to fear. The women feared are afraid as they ran to tell the disciples and Jesus again tells them do not be afraid Jesus comforted them cared for them and then Jesus tells them again the same thing the angel says go and tell Jesus again tells the women the same thing that Christians will be doing for the next 2,000 years until Jesus returns again come and see me worship me and then go and tell we have the same calling that the women had when Jesus told them, go and tell the disciples that I'm alive. We have that same calling to tell the world that Jesus is alive. As we walk through this Easter season, as we come to Good Friday, as we celebrate that beautiful Easter Sunday, we tell the world that Jesus is alive. We sit at his feet drinking in who he is, what he has done, worshiping him, knowing him, growing in him, and then leaving and, and telling the world, this is who our Savior is. This is what he has done. Come and see for yourself. We are called all to go and tell them, whether that's telling your neighbor or your co-worker, whether that's discipling a younger Christian or walking through a difficult season with someone in your life. Christians, from the moment they saw the risen Jesus from the dead, did two things. They came and worshipped, they came and saw, and they went and told. This come and see, then go and tell heart has led to one of the most world, has led this one world-altering conversation to become a, a movement that sees billions of people lives changed. This come and see conversation and go and tell attitude has led to this world being changed 
forever. Never underestimate the power of one conversation. Never underestimate your worship to God leading to others knowing God. One conversation to the least expected these women brings us here into this moment, worshiping God, worshiping Christ as our risen Savior. Today, as we finish up, I want you to come before Jesus like the women and worship Him. Reflect on who He is and what He's done, that the reality that He's risen and that we can have hope. But I don't want you to stay there. As we come and see, we, we dive deeply in Him, we also go and tell. Later on, as Jesus comes and He has he, told the disciples to meet Him in Galilee, He'll give to them the Great Commission. What you will say, go to all the nations, preaching about everything and teaching everything I've said to you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we will see the Christ, that, that early church do that. Go throughout the whole world and bringing, bringing us to this point even here today where we in Canada can worship God. We worship a risen Savior. This season, this Easter season, may we worship the risen Savior. May we worship that first, that, that, that as we listen to that first conversation, may we be reminded of the hope we have in Him given to us as we look at His resurrection. And may we also help others see that hope that they can have too. Help them see the hope they can have too.